0: So we want to start in verse 12, and, and we'll see if we can make it to verse 18 today, and, and then next week we'll start at verse 19. You you've even see in your bulletin, I've tried to put the sermon passage in for next week, and, and if it comes to mind, uh, read through that Saturday night or at some point in the week, and we'll just look forward to what God has for us next week as we come back to Philippians as well. So, in terms of picking up the context, where are we at in the book of Philippians? A couple of weeks ago, as we went through the first 11 verses, there was this really positive, hopeful, encouraging message. Paul wrote to the church there at Philippi, and he said, look, I want you guys to be encouraged. I'm praying for you, and I'm really confident that the God who started a good work in you, he's going to bring that to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Namely, this good work that God had started would be the eventual sanctification of the Philippian believers. And Paul just had so so much encouragement in so much encouragement to give, so much confidence, that the good work that God started, he was going to bring that to completion. And he wanted the believers there to rejoice in that, to, to have their confidence built up. So at that point, then we almost have to ask the question, now Paul, in verse 12, he's going to switch gears, and he's going uh, to say, now listen, about my situation, I want you guys to know where I'm at, where I'm at. because Paul had said, hey, this is all going to, God's going to complete a good work in your life, but remember what we Paul is writing from prison. So there's almost this question of um, if you're the Philippian believers and you're hearing Paul write about how good things were going to be, there's almost this question of, well, how has that worked out in your life, Paul? I mean, they had sent money to Paul. This, this letter is probably like a thank you note back to them. Thank you for the gift. I'm going to fill you in and what God is doing in my life. And, and there's almost this sense, can we trust what Paul is saying? That, that things are really, that God is going to complete the good work he started? Because here's Paul and he's in prison, right? And so as you go through this, Paul is actually going to say, well, yes, you, you can trust God's advice. And in fact, not only can you trust God's advice, but you're going to see that Paul is rejoicing in his difficult circumstances. Paul actually has joy in the hardship that he is facing. So where does that kind of joy come from? How can Paul be that hopeful? How can he be that joyful? The deep-seated, life-sustaining joy. Not the kind that's that's dependent on the happiness of circumstances, but the deep joy that can sustain through life's hard moments. Where does that come from? Charles Spurgeon wrote about this kind of joy, and I want to read to you what he said. He said, There is a marvelous medicinal power in joy. Most medicines are distasteful, but this, which is the best of all medicines, is sweet to the taste and comforting to the heart. This blessed joy is very contagious. One dolorous spirit, so a, a, a distressful spirit, a sorrowful spirit, brings a kind of plague into the house. One person who is wretched seems to stop all the birds from singing wherever he goes. And he goes on, he says, But the grace of joy is contagious. Holy joy will oil the wheels of your life's machinery. Holy joy will strengthen you for your daily labor. Holy joy will beautify you and give you an influence over the lives of others. Where does that joy come from? Because Paul has it. And as we go through these verses, as you heard Jack read, in Paul's circumstances, he's wrongly imprisoned. Through no fault of his own, through others' wrongdoing, Paul has joy in that. He, in the second part that he reads, and there's others with wrong motives, they're, they're maligning Paul. It's this personal attack against Paul. And somehow through that, he's able to have joy in that. Where does that kind of joy come from? where will we find joy in the face of persecution? Uh, the, the idea of being imprisoned for our faith is not common to us in America, but millions of our brothers and sisters today around the world have to stare that kind of persecution in the, faith, in the face and see if their faith can carry them through with joy. Where is that joy going to come from? If that day comes for us, will we face it with joy? Where, where, is, where does joy come from that can, that can sustain personal attacks and broken relationships? Where does joy come from in the face of hardships in the workplace? We live in a world that is desperately in need of that kind of joy turn on the news and you will not see happiness and joy. You will see discouragement. You will see brokenness. You will see despair. You will see all kinds of stresses that, that that joy does not naturally come from. And we are conditioned to think that a change in circumstances will then lead to joy. And it's very easy even for believers to fall into this line of thinking. But brothers and sisters, we don't need a change of circumstances to have joy. What we need is A change of heart. We need to know what Paul knew because the circumstances that he had were very dire. He was imprisoned. He was facing personal attack. And he says in this, I rejoice. And and he's going to encourage the brothers and sisters at the church of Philippi to rejoice over and over throughout the book. Joy is going to be a constant theme of the book and he wants them to rejoice. And we need to understand what Paul knew. We need to understand those truths so that we can face life's hardships with joy. You've got a quote in your bulletin from John MacArthur speaking of this passage, and he says this One of the surest measures of a Christian's spiritual maturity is what it takes to rob him of his spirit bestowed joy. Paul's maturity is evident in the present text as he makes it clear that difficult, unpleasant, painful, Even life-threatening circumstances do not rob him of joy, but rather cause to increase it. That Paul could go through what he went through, and it would increase his joy. And, And so we want to look at this and see where does that kind of joy come from. And as we look at the text, the one thing, if you're taking notes and you want to write down, what is the one thing that we need to take away from this passage this morning? And it's this. Joy is not found in circumstances, but in Christ. Joy is not found in circumstances, but in Christ. And, and this is a kind of joy that will help us through those difficulties. It will even help us as a church in a time of transition. How do we go through this with joy? Confidently expecting what God can do. We want to be people who are filled with joy. We want to be joyful people in our workplaces, in our homes, in our communities. And, and people should look at us and see, wow, there's people who have confidence not in themselves, but in a God who then produces joy. And we need to see what Paul says. Because we'll see that joy is not found in circumstances but in Christ. Look at verse 12 as we begin to walk through this together. Verse 12. Paul writes to them. Remember, he's switching gears. He was telling them, this is all the things I'm excited about for you. And now Paul's going to turn the story on himself and, and he's going to fill them in on his situation as he's in prison, probably in Rome. And, and he says this in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul writes to them and says, Listen, perhaps they've communicated his concern as they sent back their money, and he, he wants to write back, and he says, Now listen, listen, what's happened to me? You know I'm in prison. I want you guys to know that this has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul's imprisonment, the hardship he was facing, did nothing but push the message of the gospel forward. That word advance that that I read is the idea that that something can proceed, advance through obstacles. Even in the face of obstacles, the the spread of the gospel message was able to advance. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So here's Paul probably in Rome. Perhaps he's under house arrest or something like that that, and so just as he's there for perhaps up to a couple of years, Paul is not going to sit in a corner because he's imprisoned. The gospel is going to go forward, and Paul is going to continue to proclaim the gospel, and every one of the guards that Paul comes into close proximity with as he continues to try to encourage the brothers is going to hear this message of the good news as Paul continues to proclaim it. We don't know exactly what that looked like. We really don't but we could kind of pretend and use our sanctified imagination in the boldness of Paul could you imagine at the changing the changing of the guard when a when a new guard comes into the room or if he actually is chained to him you know and 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 the look on the guard's face when it's like oh that guy the one who's telling everybody about Jesus and imagine from Paul's perspective and he's like well we got, we got to do this. I mean, it could happen now. It could happen later, but it's going to happen. When do you want to know about Jesus? Do you, do you want me to go tell that guard about Jesus? Or do you just want me to sit down and tell you? I, we don't know how it happened. But with Paul's boldness in two years of this, and he's, just going to, he's in prison for preaching Christ, and he's just going to keep preaching Christ. And not only is that going to spread through the Imperial Guard as the soldiers hear about this, but now there's other Christians there in Rome watching, and they're like, Listen, we could be thrown in jail for this. But look at the guy who's thrown in jail. It's still spreading. And now they're emboldened, right? They, they, they are filled with excitement. And they're now growing in their confidence so that it says this in verse 14. And most of the brothers, so here's some of the Christians who are, they're not in prison, but they're hearing about Paul. Perhaps this is some of the church at Rome. And he says, they've become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. And they're much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see what happened? Because of Paul's boldness, the brothers who are there, now their confidence, not in themselves, it says their confidence in the Lord, that they can now proclaim the word without fear. And so it's having this multiple, multiplication effect which is a really cool concept just even as we think about believers in life together and believers in community that as as I watch your boldness as I watch you proclaim the faith, now that does something to me it encourages me, it helps me in my faith and just to think about why does God put us together in believers and bodies it's because of that, that multiplication effect of, of watching your faith in your life now this has an impact on me and paul says listen don't worry about me i'm in prison but i want you to know this has actually served to advance the gospel and so here's paul unjustly in prison through no fault of his own that the, the, he, he's been personally wronged by these soldiers and he doesn't care he, he, the gospel is advancing, right? And he knows that, and he wants the believers at Philippi to be encouraged with it. Now, we're going to keep going here, and, and because now this takes another level. Not only has he been wronged by these soldiers, we can assume that at least most of the soldiers were unbelievers. Perhaps Paul won some to Christ, but but here's unbelievers who have done him wrong. Uh, and, and yet the wrong takes takes another step when you go to verse 15. So um, some, probably some of the verse 14, so as people are proclaiming Christ, verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. He's talking about their motivations. He's going to make a distinction between two groups. On the one hand, some are doing this proclaiming of Christ out of envy and rivalry, but there's others who preach Christ from goodwill. So some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love. So those with the goodwill, he's going to explain here in verse 16, they're proclaiming Christ out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So there's this group who are genuinely preaching Christ with good motives and out of goodwill. They, 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 they see that Paul is... Um, put in defense of the gospel, and, and they want to proclaim Christ. And so because they love Paul, they're still proclaiming Christ. Now, there's this other group though from Envy and Rivalry. What is that? He explains it in verse 17. The former, they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So here's a group of people That that with wrong motives, they're they're proclaiming who Christ is. They're proclaiming the gospel. It's kind of tricky to think through, and we don't know for sure with certainty, but what's the identity of this group? It says in verse 15, some preach Christ. So who were they? What were they preaching? We have to kind of do some deductions and think through this, though we don't know their exact identity. You're gonna see in verse 18 that Paul rejoices for both for both groups. He rejoices for the preaching of both groups. I'll go ahead and read it. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Now, so uh, we would have to think then that this one group who's preaching from envy and rivalry, this has to probably do with the motivation of their preaching. Certainly has to do with the motivation of their preaching. It wouldn't do with the content of their preaching in the sense that they were preaching a false or a corrupted gospel about Christ. I don't think Paul would rejoice in that. Later on, in chapter 3 of this book, he's going to talk about a group uh, that were corrupting the gospel, and he calls them dogs and evildoers. Uh, If you remember the way Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, and there were some who were preaching a corrupted gospel, and Paul had very strong words against those groups. Paul does not rejoice when the name of Christ is defamed. There's no way that he would rejoice in a corrupted gospel. And so we've got to think that these are probably believers, perhaps some of the same ones in verse 14 who were emboldened to proclaim the faith, that for whatever reason, they wanted to inflict Paul. They saw that he was suffering and they had this personal vendetta against Paul, largely taught a sound gospel, uh, and, and, and yet they had this personal problem with Paul. And they thought that because he was imprisoned, well, it was exciting for them that their ministry could flourish or something. They, they wanted to kind of pour salt in the wound. And, and so now you see that Paul, not only has he been wronged by these soldiers and unjustly p- imprisoned, but here would be some group who are, who are believers, who, who teach the same gospel that Paul preaches. And, and they want to pour salt in the wound. And, and they've got this personal a- attack against Paul. And, and, and how is Paul going to react to that, right? I mean, how Would you react if you were personally wrong? That's not something that I would be able to easily let slide by. I would want to deal with it. I would want to take care of it. And you know what Paul's response is in verse 18? What then? Where do we go from here? What do we do about this? He says, Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Paul is able to say, listen, the message of the gospel is going forward. These people, even with bad motives, they're still talking about the same gospel, I believe. They're still lifting up the same Christ. I'm going to rejoice in that. Paul realized that joy didn't come from circumstances. Joy came from Christ. And he realized Christ was being proclaimed, and he realized it wasn't about him. He wanted to proclaim that same gospel. So I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice that Christ is being proclaimed even if there's some personal loss for Paul. Why? Because he realized and he understood listen it's all about the gospel. It wasn't about Paul and his ministry. It was about the necessity of the message of the gospel going forward. In just a few more verses in a few more weeks we're going to look at chapter 2 and you'll see in verse 4 of chapter 2 where Paul says that each person should look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others and Paul so genuinely understood that it wasn't about his own interests. It was about the interests of the gospel going forward. And right here, he's modeling for them that, listen, I've been personally attacked. But what then? Christ is being proclaimed. That doesn't mean he's going to excuse sin. It doesn't mean he's going to ignore sin. Later on in the book, he's going to point out some of these things. Uh, The doctrinal heresy in chapter 3. Some of the personal conflict within the Philippian church in chapter 4. He's going to point some of that out. So he doesn't ignore it or turn a blind eye to it. And yet it doesn't affect his joy. He realizes the gospel can go forward. Christ is being proclaimed. So I'm going to rejoice in that because he realizes that his heart needs to be set uh, on seeing the gospel advance. I, I, I want to point out one more word. Um, in verse 16, let me come back to the ones who were preaching out of goodwill. So the ones who preach out of goodwill, um, This is the group who do it out of love, verse 16. Knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. That phrase, I am put here. Some of your Bibles might say, I am set here. I am appointed here. It it was a military term that had to do with like the establishment of, of soldiers for defense. And Paul is saying like a soldier I am put here in prison for the defense of the gospel and you think of the irony that there are soldiers who have been appointed to uh, watch guard over Paul and he's like actually I've been appointed here by God set here to defend the gospel to each of you and what a what a concept that Paul had such confidence in the advance of the gospel that all that he desired was that it go forward and that Christ be proclaimed. Because he realizes that his joy was not dependent on his circumstances. And his circumstances were not ones to be joyful about in a worldly sense. None of us would find happiness in imprisonment and and, and uh, the, the, this group of people that was attacking Paul. None of us would find happiness Joy in that, and yet Paul says, "I can rejoice because the gospel is going forward what a What a cool thing to think about that next week we 're going to go forward because he 's going to keep some of the same thought going, and he 's going to talk about a few more areas and ways that that he can rejoice in ministry all the way up to the point of life and death. But as we think about this passage for us as a church, I, I want us to think about a few areas of Application uh, that that apply to us as individuals, that apply to us as a church, as we go through this, and we see Paul's confidence in the advance of the gospel. What, what I've got four takeaways that will help us as a church as we think about um, how we ought to apply some of these truths in our lives. So, so number one, first area of application would be that w- that we as people put our confidence in the advance of the gospel. I somewhat said that wrong. The gospel is going to advance. That's a truth that we don't need to take any action on other than than, uh, put our confidence there, right? The, The gospel will advance. And so we want our confidence in that truth that that is a reality. Matthew chapter sixteen, Jesus Christ said, "I will build my church." God, uh, the reason God has us here uh, is is for the spread of this gospel message. The furtherance of this church, the furtherance of the gospel message is something that God is going to accomplish as he spreads it. And so we as a people want to have our hope in that. Paul was imprisoned. And in that sense, um, even though he was imprisoned, the gospel did not stop and the gospel could still be advanced. He knew that the gospel was not bound even though he himself was bound. You see Paul pick up this idea in 2nd Timothy chapter 2 and I want you to see 2nd Timothy chapter 2 verse 9 and here is what Paul says. 2 Timothy 2.9 and here again he's writing from prison and he, he says this that uh, it, it, he is suffering in prison for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal but the word of God is not bound. Right? Paul realized and understood that even though he was imprisoned, the, the gospel was not bound. And so we understand that, that the gospel is something that will advance in terms of the message and what God is doing to, uh, to, to convert lives and to add children to the faith in terms of their sins being forgiven and coming into relationship with Christ. And God is spreading that message. He is continuing to change lives. And so there's confidence for us as a church that we are in time of transition as a church but brothers and sisters, the gospel is not transitioning. The gospel is advancing. And that is a cool reality to realize that God is going to spread his message. And so our focus as a church then should be, uh, secondly then, the, the, the second point of application is then that our priority as a people should be on advancing the gospel message. So, so the first thought is just that go ahead and put our confidence there that God is spreading the message of the gospel. Second point of application is so if that's what God's doing, then that should be our priority as individuals and as a church. So first, this this starts with desire, and so I would ask you to to each of you look inward because what is it that you think and believe about the the, the message of the gospel? Let me step away one second. Very simply, the gospel is the good news that even though our sins separate us from a righteous and holy God, God has made payment available through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to this earth He lived a perfect and righteous life. He was fully human, fully God, and yet he still died, not for his own sins, but to take the punishment for yours and mine that a way of salvation would be made possible for any who turn from their sin and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. If you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, that's what we would encourage you to do. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate Christ's broken body and his shed blood on that cross that made a way of salvation possible for us. And now, as God saves us, puts us into relationship with other believers called the church, now now we spread that same gospel message. So, let me come back to the idea of desire. What is it that you think about that gospel message that I just described? If... You think of it more in terms of that's just something that I needed to know, some truths that helped me go from unbeliever to believer. It's kind of like my fire insurance. It's kind of like a get out of jail free card, but other, uh, so it, it helps me, it helps me uh, have my sins forgiven. And now I know that I'm supposed to come to church, so I do, but it doesn't have much bearing on my life. Now I'm just trying to uh, live the life that every other American tries to live. And, and more or less, I'm just concerned about this life here and now, uh, if that's the way you think about the gospel, well then, I understand if it doesn't give you much confidence. I understand if it doesn't rank high on your priority list. But brothers and sisters, that's not just a message that gets us into the Christian faith. It is a message that now we bear the responsibility and the privilege, every one of us, not just pastors, not just missionaries, but to continue sharing that good news with others who need to know it. And it's also the same grace that now... Now helps us in the Christian life conform us into the image of Christ so this is not just one piece of news in the beginning this is what carries us all the way through and it then will bring us confidence and now it's got to be our priority if the spread of the gospel message now needs to be our priority and it's what we should be about as individuals God has set us here for the advance of the gospel. He's appointed us here to continue spreading that good news. And so as, as a church in this time of transition, what is our priority? It's to advance the message of the gospel it's it, it, our goal during this time is not the advancement of programs or ministries or budgets or even friendliness in the relationships that God has put us into in this church all of those are good things necessary things but brothers and sisters they are they are means to an end. They're not ends in and of themselves. They are means to an end and that end is advancing the message of the gospel so that others can know this good news of who Jesus Christ is. So that's our priority at this time is to advance the gospel message and to see that we we can see this go forward because we want others to know. We want others to know this message. I don't know if I have time for a rabbit trail, but I'm going to take it anyway. Rabbit trail. We'll, we'll talk, I hope at some point in this series that we'll think a little bit more about defining the gospel. You, you keep hearing me say that we want to advance the gospel message. Many of us immediately think of that as just that simple good news. It, it, it's incredibly profound, but it truly is simple. That message that I just shared, that, that there's life and forgiveness available for all who place their faith and trust in Christ. And, and so it's easy to think of that as simple simply just evangelism or sharing the good news with others. But as you see the way Paul talks about the word, and the Bible does use the word gospel to define just that, that very simple yet profound truth. Uh, But there's also this understanding, and as you see the way Paul uses the word in this book, um, you you see Paul talk about the, the advance of the gospel. You see him say that you are put here, you're partnering with me in the gospel. He talks about their decision to join him at the beginning of the gospel. You see Paul talk in some ways, not just about this truth, but about what it accomplishes. And so as I talk about advancing the gospel, I'm not merely talking about just evangelizing people with this incredible, profound truth. I'm talking also about the and everything else that goes with that. When Jesus gave his great commission, he, he didn't just say make disciples with this one truth. He said uh, uh, to make disciples, teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So it's, it's this great incredible news that changes lives but then it's the pressing deep into the truths of scripture so that disciples are built up and made because we don't just want to spread this good news we want to protect it we want to see it advance and if we don't press believers into the full model of discipleship so that they they know and understand these truths within a generation or two that truth of the gospel will be lost and corrupted and so when I say we want to advance the gospel I don't merely mean evangelizing the lost with this truth. I mean that, but I also mean uh, uh, pressing them deep into these truths and discipling these brothers and sisters so that that truth is protected and passed on for generations. Because we're put here to advance the gospel, and in order to do that, we're also going to have to protect it uh, a- a- as we go through. Rabbit trail over. I hope we can dig into that further at some point in this, in this series as we go through that. So we, we, number one, we want our confidence to be in the advance of the gospel. Number two, we want our priority to be the advance of the gospel. Number three, keep, keep our trials in perspective. This passage helps us understand how we we need to view our trials and and what I'm specifically talking about, trying to make application to the types of illustrations that Paul brought up. I'm talking about the the sin of others and, and how that affected them. You see, Paul's imprisonment was largely the sin of outsiders. He was unjustly imprisoned. You even saw the sin of believers on the inside who, who corrupted his name, had a personal attack against him. And, and you see Paul being able to model what I talked about before, that it wasn't only to look to his own interest, but he wanted the gospel to advance. And so we can view and recognize and realize that, that even when the sin of others affects us, uh, we want the, the, the advance of the gospel to go forward and it, it does help us keep in perspective our trials it does help us know that he's ab- that god is able um, we understand when we understand what paul understood that joy is not found in circumstances but in christ it helps us to know that it helps us keep the advance of the gospel as our top priority and so as we think about this then Um, It's not just that we keep trials in perspective. And it's not that God ignores trials. When the sin of others affect us, God never minimizes that. Um, those, Those offending parties are still held accountable for their sin against us. God will have to deal with those. And the Bible doesn't excuse that. Later on in this book, Paul's going to talk about some sins and point them out. Uh, And yet it helps us keep our perspective that number four, number three, we keep trials in perspective, but number four, we understand that God can take the sin of others and use it to accomplish his good purposes. And that's uncomfortable to think about when it's so painful for us. It's uncomfortable to think that, that that someone else's sin, which is wrong and evil and vile, it's what put Christ on the cross. God doesn't endorse it. He doesn't ignore it. And yet God can still use it for good in our lives to advance the purpose of the gospel. I'm not talking about personal sin, okay? I don't want any of you thinking, okay, I don't have to confess and repent because God can use sin for good. Scripture makes it very, very clear that when we see sin in our lives, we need to confess and repent. I'm I'm specifically talking about sin that is outside of our control and we realize that, that God can still use this to accomplish good. I remember the first time that I studied verses Um, 15 through 17 like uh, I was an adult by this point it was probably 14 years ago I remember because it was a trip I took just before we got married excuse me it was a trip I took just before we got married and um, so I was reading through this passage and it just hit me like you gotta be hold on Paul rejoices over, like, wrong preaching. And at that time, I thought it... I wasn't clear that it wasn't... I didn't understand that it was motivation. I didn't understand that it wasn't the content of the preaching. But it just did not make sense to me. How could Paul rejoice over sin? And especially, we understand who Paul is, right? I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't pull any punches. It's like, Paul, why don't you deal with this, you know? Like, come on, call these people out. This is sin. Deal with it, right? And it's like Paul had this confidence that he realized that, 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 that the, the real priority was the gospel going forward. And it wasn't about him personally. And what a cool thing to think about and to realize that God can somehow take something bad and and use it for good, and God doesn't ignore it. These people who spoke badly of Paul would be held accountable for their sins. But it wasn't Paul's job to hold them accountable. I often have to remind myself, and I have friends who speak into my life, and they remind me, Aaron, you're not God. Don't try to be God. Let God be God. Control what you can control. And if it's outside your control, you can trust in God. We can trust that He can use um, even bad things to accomplish good purposes. And brothers and sisters, the clearest picture of this that we have in Scripture is the cross that we're about to gather around. That the righteous and holy Son of God... Murdered in the most evil act in all of human history. And there, there's, we would never look at that and call that good. And those soldiers who put Christ on the cross will be held accountable. And in fact, it was our sins that put Christ on the cross. And through it, God accomplished the greatest good in all of human history. A man named John Piper has written in a book called Spectacular Sins, and he says this, the death of Jesus Christ was Murder. It was the most spectacular sin ever committed. At the all-important pivot of human history, the worst sin ever committed served to show the greatest glory of Christ and obtain the sin-conquering gift of God's grace. God did not just overcome evil at the cross. He made evil serve the overcoming of evil. He made evil commit suicide in doing its worst evil. And so as evil put Christ on the cross, that was the very undoing of itself. Through that, Christ conquered sin. He conquered death. And God has brought about the greatest results in all of human history through the worst act in all of human history. Brothers and sisters, we have a God who can be trusted even when circumstances are painful. They're hurting. And we say, where does joy come from? They don't come. Joy doesn't come from circumstances. Joy is found in Christ. And we can rejoice in that. And we'll celebrate that now. We will go to the table and remember Christ's broken body, his shed blood, and we'll say that's where our joy comes from. And we want that message to spread. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for who you are as God, that, that you have the ability through, through your sovereign power to, to somehow take even bad circumstances and bring about good through them, namely the advance of that same message that makes those circumstances good. And so we rejoice in that Uh, Father, we we ask that you would um, press our hearts deep into these truths, that we would see the importance of the gospel, that we would see how deeply we need to know it and understand it, um, that we would, uh, as a people, be serious about its advance and its spread. Um, Father, we, as we come to this table and just reflect on what you've done for us through the person of Christ, I just pray that you would encourage our hearts with these truths of scripture, that we as a people would be people who our joy is not found in circumstances, but in Christ. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.